Good morning. Open up a Bible or a phone to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10. We are um, we're closing out this little mini-series on personal reflections that we've been doing. Um, and because, because there's four of us in the teaching team taking turns, and there's a five-week series, I'm doing part two of mine now, and you'll see a similar thread um, it's not that I had so many personal reflections, I needed two sermons to do it in. It's just that I'm a bit wordy, maybe that's why I needed two. This is sort of part two of, of my reflections. Uh, part one was, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks ago. Um, but we're going to be in Luke 10 uh, this morning. It's a familiar passage for many of you, and I think hopefully it will be massively encouraging to us at this time of the year. Um, you know, it's a real, one of the things I love the most about being in lockdown level one, is that we're able to meet people. Uh, well, the, the people who want to meet. You know, some people are still nervous and stuff. I get it. That's cool. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm missing those people. Uh, I bumped into one couple from the church who I haven't seen for like seven months uh, this, this week at a funeral that I was doing. And it was so nice to see them. Um, but having coffees with lots of people is, you know, an occupational hazard uh, for a pastor. And it's wonderful to sit and hear how people are doing. And part of my personal reflections comes out of this, hearing again and again and again from people. And um, I'm told Claire, that if I had 50 rand, for every time somebody had told me that they were looking forward to the end of the year and having a break and a holiday and whatever else, and seeing their, this year behind them, and they just needed some time, downtime, holiday, whatever else, yeah, I'd, be, I'd be rich. Um, you know, I could retire uh, comfortably. Uh, if I added up all those 50 rands, you know, th this is a, this is a seasonal thing that happens every year in Joburg. Come November, you know, at, at best, sometimes it starts in October, November, everyone is just tired and like clawing their way to the end. This year seems to have accelerated that. Everyone is just zoomed out. They're just done. They're just like, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to go to the business end of year company function. If that's even happening, the company's still around or whatever else. People just want to run and hide. And they want to be refreshed. They want this year to be done. And as I've reflected on this uh, a lot, I've really felt burdened to bring again and again uh, a message to us as believers in Jesus about where our rest really lies. Because if all your hope is on a holiday, guys, you know, if you only remember one thing, your hope is not on a holiday. I'm not against holidays. We're going on holiday as well. We're going to be locked down with the whole of the Western Cape, no doubt, and may not be able to get back to Joburg. We're going to go on holiday. But my hope is not in a holiday. Uh, I go on holiday basically for my kids to entertain them on the beach. That's what holidays are like when you're a parent of kids my age. You know, you end up playing frisbee on the beach and getting burnt to a crisp, getting skin cancer. I hate the beach, but I love my children, so I do that kind of stuff. But my hope's not in the holiday. My hope is in the Lord. And if you're hanging on for that to be your refreshment, this morning will be hopefully um, a reminder again and instructive of how both the scriptures teach us and what Jesus models for us. What's really going to refresh you and sustain you and put you back together again. Because people are in all kinds of condition uh, at, the end of, at the end of this year. So I want to have a look at two interactions that Jesus has this morning. So we're going to be in two different passages. The first one we're going to be in is in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking from verse 38. We'll start at Luke, verse 38 through to verse 42. It says this, While they were traveling... He, which is Jesus, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Fathers, we hear your word uh, read and preached this morning. As we ask every week, we pray now that you, through the Holy Spirit, would come and speak to us and teach us. More than anything, we need to hear your voice. We need the Spirit of God to open up our eyes, to enable our hearts, our spirits to receive from you this morning what you long to make clear to us. And so we are so deeply dependent on this work of the Spirit to come and illuminate your word, bring it to life uh, in our hearing. I pray that you would help us now. This is our deepest longing. We're not sharp enough. We're not clever enough. Clever enough. Any of us in this room to you know, look at your word and study and understand. We need to humble ourselves. And so we do that this morning collectively. And so please would you speak to us, Father. Thank you that you delight to do that. And we pray you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this, yeah, like I said, this is a familiar, uh, this is a familiar story, a familiar interaction. And I want to we won't have time to dig into all of it, but I want to point out to you, as we start Martha's state of mind, uh, Martha's state of mind, she is, how does it describe her? Um, distracted by her many tasks. Distracted by her many tasks. The ESV puts it like this, she's distracted with much serving. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? I mean, let's be honest, like, if you're a busy body for Jesus, like, who's going to give you a hard time? Most people are going to say, like, two thumbs up. Like, if you give them your story, you say, I'm exhausted. All I've been doing is just serving Jesus, serving the church. I've been so busy, busy, busy. I've been doing this, food parcels, helping entrepreneurs. I've been busy. I'm running off my feet. Gosh, I'm so exhausted. But I've been busy serving the Lord. I mean, is there not a more noble thing to be exhausted from than serving the Lord? Yeah, you're all looking suspiciously. This is, like, not a trick question. This is uh, your thinking. I think he's going to ask us another question. I'm not answering. I'm not even moving. I'm not moving in case he singles me out. <laughs> it sounds noble, doesn't it? Distracted by serving, many tasks, be busy. I mean, in Joburg, the city of busyness, what's the worst thing that you can be? Like an oxygen thief who just takes up space, who doesn't do anything. He's not with the hustle and the bustle. If people ask you how you're doing, you're okay. You're chill. Everything's lacquer. You're a People think you fell out of the heavens. It's like, what do you? How can you live in Joburg and just be chilled and like, are you smoking weed at home? That's my neighbor. I promise you, we've got one neighbor. He's a tenant. Nothing phases that. Okay. But he smokes weed half the day. He's just chilled. He's never ever seen the oak uptight. But I don't think he's contributing anything to anything except the the weed economy. Now in Joburg, that's that's against everything. You need to be busy and you need to be exhausted. We wear it as a badge of honor. Run off our feet. And if you run off your feet for Jesus, all the better. But it's not what we see in the scriptures here. And Jesus is about to call this out. And on the one side, you can be distracted with all these noble things of serving Jesus. But you can also just be distracted with lesser things. I mean, we need to be honest here. 
we're amongst friends. How many of you are distracted by social media? You get lost in YouTube and Netflix, those holes. You just click, 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 hour, hour, binge, binge. You get onto Facebook to check whose birthday it is today, and 45 minutes later, you know, you're watching cat videos and stuff like that, and you don't know what happened to your day. It's just gone properly sideways. You're laughing because it's true. It happens to people. We get distracted by lesser things, and then you feel guilty and stuff, and your time just evaporates. We get distracted, and our souls get emptied out. The point is that you can be distracted and wearied by both good and bad things, by things that appear noble and things that look on the, front, on the face of it like they are a waste of your time. We can get distracted. And here you have Martha. She's running around. Noble things. Jesus is coming. In that culture, hospitality was a really, really big deal. So when people come to your house, you've got to make the food. You've got to make it all like it's, it's not a small thing. It's a massive thing. It weighs on the family how well you welcome visitors. And Martha is doing everything she should be doing. Where's Mary? Mary's chilling with Jesus, listening. Listening to the sermon. He's teaching. He's hanging out with Jesus. And Martha checks us. She's indignant. And she comes, to, she comes to Jesus. And what does she say to him? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm doing everything and she's just chilling here, you know, hanging out with you? Must be lacquer, hey, uh, Mary? Tell her, Jesus. Tell her to come and help me. I mean, she's listening to you, so tell her on, on my behalf. She's obviously not listening to Martha. Jesus, you tell her because she's listening to you. Tell her to come and help me. I mean, she's like, you know, calling all of Jesus' authority to come and boss Mary around. Obviously, Martha thinks Mary's in the wrong place there. Don't you care? Those words, don't you care? You know, when you get run off your feet and when you're tired, you know what happens? You you buy your own streamers and your own balloons and you throw your own pity party for yourself. No one cares. Look at me here. Run off my feet. Working, I'm the hardest working. No one appreciates everything that I'm doing. I'm exhausted. And don't you care? We start, to, we start to read into the motives of other people who we don't feel are as hardworking as us. Or we don't have the same life complexities and stuff as us. And we think, don't you, don't you care? No, no one cares. I'm having my own, my own pity party. I feel unappreciated. And many people get to the, this time of the year just feeling unappreciated and, and weary. Just like Martha comes to Jesus and says, don't you care? And what does Jesus do? He looks at Martha and he says to her, what? Martha... Martha, I love it. I love it when Jesus says your name twice. He's not just saying Martha. There's some tenderness there, but he's also about to say something here. And he's like, Martha, Martha. No one ever says my name twice except my mother. You know, and then if she ever says my name, my full name twice, I know I just stop whatever I'm doing and pay attention now because I'm about to hear something. Even now I'm 43 and it's like if she says Douglas, Douglas, I'm like, she hardly ever says that. You know, we don't speak like they speak in the Bible. Douglas, Douglas. Like I heard you the first time. But Jesus is saying this in this tender, compassionate way. Martha, listen, I want you to get your attention here. I want you to make sure that you hear what I'm about to say to you. Because this is massively important. And if I don't say your name twice, I may not get your attention. You may miss what I'm about to say to you. And you may carry on running around like a headless chicken and miss this. Because about what he's about to say here is the most important thing she's going to hear that day and for many years. What does he say to her? You're worried and upset about many things. The ESV says you're anxious and troubled about many things. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Just before we get to what he says about it, does that not describe many people you know? Maybe it describes you. Worried and upset about many things. Anxious and troubled about many things. Man, this is a year to be anxious and troubled. This is a year to be worried and upset. Family, work, health, 
your futures, whatever. So many people are anxious and overwhelmed and worried about so many things. Jesus sees it. That's one of the things I love about this interaction is that Jesus sees the busyness and stuff. And he, he calls it out. He says, I, I see you're anxious and worried about many things. I see you worried and upset. It's not like he's, he doesn't just immediately rebuke her and say, like, listen, man, Martha, just cut out the nonsense. Get your act together. Come and sit here for the Bible study. He acknowledges the state of her soul and her condition because he knows that's, that's what Jesus is like. And maybe you just need to hear that this morning, that you may feel overlooked by him. Like Jesus is more worried about COVID. He's got his hands full with the coronavirus around the world. He can't possibly be that interested in what's overwhelming you. And yet that's not what the scriptures teach us. The scriptures teach us that he sees everything that you're going through. He's intimately aware of all the moving parts of your life. And he sees them. And he has compassion over the state of your soul and, and, and the, the complexity of your life this morning. And he wants to remind you of that. And he gets her attention. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. And then he says to her, what? One thing is necessary. That's the title of the sermon. One thing is necessary. If Jesus came to you and said, one thing is necessary, would you pay attention? One thing is necessary. Not a million things is necessary. One thing is necessary. Now, before you misquote me tomorrow, and you don't go to work and whatever else, is going to look now at what that one thing that's necessary is. And the one thing that's necessary is what Mary's doing. Mary is doing what? It says she's sitting at his feet, listening to his words. Listening to what he says. I think the, uh, the, the CSB puts it uh, slightly differently. It says, um, oh, I can't find my page yet. Listen to what he said. So the, the translation of what he said is it's actually logos. The word is listen to his word. The, the Jesus is the eternal logos. It's a bit lost in the CSB translation. It took me a little bit of time to find it. She's not just listening to what he said. Like that's interesting. The original translation is she's listening to the word. She's listening to the word. It's not just what he's saying. She's listening to the eternal word. When Jesus speaks, he's never just wasting his words. She's listening to the eternal word that comes out of his mouth. And that's the one thing that's necessary. Mary is sitting there at his feet. That's the most appropriate place for a disciple. Is to sit at the feet of the one who you need to hear from. You know, we are convinced that it's more important for us to do than to sit and listen. Christian culture, Joburg culture, everything, the badge of honor that you wear is the busyness and the accomplishments. And Jesus says the one thing that's necessary is to sit at the feet of him and listen to his eternal word. So when Jesus comes to you this morning, he says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen this and is not going to be taken away from her. She will be commended for all eternity for this act of sitting at my feet, the feet of the Savior, and listening to his word, his eternal word. That's the one thing that's necessary. It's not that we never do. You know, you can't, you can't zoom in to your meetings tomorrow or phone your boss and say, look, I, I can't come to work. You know, the pastor yesterday said there's only one thing that's necessary, and he didn't mention work. So I'm going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus the whole day. Like, uh, you know, if you need me, I'll be here. Um, sorry, not sorry. Uh, you know, yeah, you've got to go to work. You've got to get on with life. But there's a way to incorporate the one thing that's necessary in the rest of our rhythms. And this is where things often go sideways for us as believers is that we don't, we don't do that. The one thing that's necessary, we treat as optional. 
say that again, the one thing that's necessary, we treat as optional. We think that all of this other stuff is necessary. And we wonder why we are exhausted and run out and spent and lifeless and fruitless and powerless and joyless. All of this happens because on, on, on the back, none of this, none of this one thing is necessary, sitting at his feet, listening to his eternal word. He said it's possible, and Jesus reminds us of this, to gain the whole world. Uh, Where's this? Matthew 16. To gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. It's possible. Jesus wouldn't have cautioned it if it wasn't possible. You think you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. Imagine if I gave you that option on a plate today. He said, would you rather gain the whole world and forfeit your soul or keep your soul and let go of things that are temporary in the world? Every single one of you in this room would come to me and say, I would love to keep my soul and I'd be happy to forfeit them. And then we'll walk out the door and we'll carry on living this week as if we want to gain the whole world and we're happy to forfeit our souls because our diaries don't reflect what we say. They don't reflect the apps, the genuine posture of our hearts. And I'm not just, I'm not just speaking in one direction. You know, I've had to go again and again. See, these are personal reflections. I'm on the same journey with you. I find it so easy to do things for Jesus, rather than just to be with him and listen to him. It's much easier to be a Christian busybody than to be a silent disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word and allowing those words to shape you and expose you and encourage you and peel back the layers of your heart until you're changed. And then you become effective and fruitful. Just in case you think Jesus just spoke about this, and encouraged Mary and said, you know, one thing is necessary, Mary, be like this Martha, you know, watch this. And didn't actually live this way. Let's have a look at the second passage. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 29. And we're going to look briefly at how Jesus lives this out. Because he doesn't just teach things. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just say, hey, this will be good for you. He always lives and he models what he's wanting us to do. He goes ahead of us and gives us an example. That's not why he came, but it's also why he came. To be our example, to show us how to live as, a, as humans. Mark 1, and we'll just pick it up in verse uh, 29. It says, Immediately, uh, again, he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told, they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Think of this day that Jesus has. He's teaching in the synagogue. He finishes teaching, and then they go home to have some chow and whatever they get there. Now Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Now she's supposed to obviously be helping 
throughout all the food and stuff. I say, Jesus, you know. Now you just finished teaching. Most of you don't preach often. But when you finish preaching, sometimes you, you don't feel like going and resurrecting your mother-in-law. Well, I mean, your, not, not your mother-in-law. You never feel like doing that. But your friend's mother-in-law. Um, you just want to chill and have some food and be on your own a little bit. And yeah, Jesus rolls in and he's like, okay, cool. Hatches her fever, leaves her up. She jumps, starts helping them. And then he thinks, like, we're just going to settle down and have some chow, you know, debrief the day, get rest of No, 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 they gather all the sick and demon-possessed and bring them all over so Jesus can heal and drive out demons. And he does that, and it's, they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming, and he's telling the demons to shut up and leave, and, and he's exercising all of his authority there. And you would think that after a day like that, you deserve a lion, don't you? You know, if you've had Zoom meetings the whole day, you have a Saturday morning coming, you know, like, you treat yourself to a lion. Don't have to go for an early morning jog, get up, do anything early, just gonna snuggle in bed with some hot chocolate or whatever it is. I hate hot chocolate, but some people like that kind of stuff. There's no sleeping in with Jesus. What is he doing? What is the one thing that's necessary? He knows what his day has just taken out of him. And he knows what's gonna happen the next day. And so what does he do? He gets up early to go and be with his father. He gets up early and escapes those who are looking for him and goes to do the one thing that's necessary. Go be with his father. Because Jesus knew, guys, that you can't give out what you don't receive. You can't, he can't just go like that every day, healing, driving out demons, teaching. can't keep going like that unless he's hearing from the father, unless the father is pouring more of the spirit into him and renewing him. He needs to be in intimate fellowship with the Father in order to accomplish everything that he's on earth to do. And you know what? The exact same thing is true for you. The exact same thing is true for you. You cannot do what you were put on earth to do unless you are living in intimate communion with your Father. He's teaching you. He's filling you. He's empowering you. Life takes the power out of you. God, when you sit at his feet, puts it back into you, refills you, refreshes you. With the Holy Spirit, with power, renews you, delights over you. It would have been wonderful to be a, a fly on the wall, to see Jesus in those times, don't you think? The devotional life of Jesus. We can look at this when we teach through Mark next year. What Jesus' devotional life looked like. I don't think it meant he just sat there quietly, flipping through his Our Daily Bread book, or writing in his journal. Just probably shouting and singing and crying and quiet and praying and Whatever, dancing, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what it was like, but it was life-giving for Jesus. It's life-giving, because then you see, they come and find him, and they're like, hey, everyone's looking for you, and what would you have done if you were Jesus? You say, okay, cool, I'm feeling a bit better, let's go back. When you spend time with the Father, then everything that you should be doing becomes clear. You understand why you're here. And he knew that why I'm here is not to come back to that, I need to go somewhere else. That's why I'm here, is to keep the message spreading. If the, father, the time of the Father orientates you into why you're on the planet. You would think of your natural eyes, Jesus, you've got to follow him, and there's a vibe there. There's some momentum getting going in, in the village there, in the, in the city. Let's go back and let's work that momentum. We can get something really good going here. But he knows. The Father says, nah, let's go. Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to, to go and spread the message all over the place. The time of the Father helps you get clear on why you're here. And off he goes in renewed power, renewed joy. One thing that's necessary. In John 12, Jesus says this, I have not spoken on my own. The 
But the Father himself who has sent me has given me a command to say everything I've said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. That's why Jesus, again and again, I say he speaks with such authority. No one teaches like Jesus. We, you know, all these other teachers and rabbis, and stuff, they, 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 again and again, people say no one speaks like this man. No one speaks with the authority that he has. It's because Jesus is just saying what he's heard. He's just speaking what the Father's put into him. And, and, and guys, if we want to be fruitful and effective, we need to follow this pattern, this example of Jesus. Silence before speaking. Silence before speaking. Being alone before you're together with others. We don't like that. People don't like being alone. We try everything to not be alone with ourselves or with the Lord. Pattern of the scriptures is that you're first with God before he sends you anywhere. You're first alone before you're with the crowds. You're up on the mountain before you're with the multitudes. That's the pattern again and again you see in the scriptures. And you see it modeled in the life of Jesus. Guys, if you want to be fruitful for the Lord, you've got to learn. to get you. The one thing is necessary. You've got to learn how you're going to sit at his feet and hear his word. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels here. You're running around like a headless chicken. And it's not just your efficiency and your effectiveness in the spiritual sense. Your entire life comes out of the abundance of your time with God. You want to be a joyful worker. Your work is not this weird thing detached from your work with your walk with God. It's what you do with the majority of your hours every day. If you want it to be life-giving and effective, you've got to get you've got to do the one thing that's necessary. You've got to learn how to sit at his feet and hear his word. Just think of Jesus, he's got the most pressure that anyone's ever faced. The most pressure. But again and again, you look through the life of Jesus. And you don't get the sense that he's busy. Or he's short with people. He snaps with this crowd because he's just tired or hungry or whatever. He, he, he's intentional. He's busy, but he's patient. And he's present with every person who comes in front of him. He's not like distracted. He's showing them attention. They feel all loved by him. You, you, you see again and again in the scriptures, people coming to Jesus, asking him to do something. It's the first time he's meeting them, but they've obviously watched his interactions with other people. Well, they've heard about him. And they come and say, all my hope is in this man. Either by reputation or by observation. The way he is with people, I hope he'll be like that with me. All of my hope is going to be in this man. Jesus just lives this way. He lives as the ultimate human. So don't get this wrong, guys. He's not living in a way and at a level that is out of reach for all of you, all of us. He's living what is most alive for humans. He, he, he is a man in the flesh, empowered by the Spirit. He's showing you this is what God wants for you. When Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come that you might have what? Life in all of its abundance, in all of its fullness. That's why he came. That's what the gospel accomplishes. He didn't come that you would make it to November hanging by a thread. You don't see that in the scriptures. I mean, it's not in my Bible. Maybe it's in your weird translation. It's not there. Guys, the translation is, I have come that you might have life in abundance. The reason we don't have abundance is what? It's a self-inflicted injury. It's because we're not doing the one thing that's necessary. We haven't learned and cultivated a life of sitting at his feet and hearing his words. And we wonder why we're exhausted, wrung out, strung out, hanging by a thread, Wondering if God exists, if he loves us, is this even worth it? It's a self-inflicted injury. 
And the invitation in the scriptures, as Dave mentioned last week, is to come. It's just to come. To come and sit. To come, that Isaiah 55 passage, I love that. To come, buy wine and milk and bread without costs. And it doesn't cost you anything, and you don't have any money to buy it. Brilliant. Isaiah 55, go and read it again and again. Read it slowly. The invitation to the thirsty. Come. Come and buy things that don't cost anything with money that you don't have. Because it's a free gift from God. You come and sit at His feet. You're not buying the Holy Spirit. You're not buying refreshment. You're not twisting God's arm. You're coming to refresh yourself because God has promised life in abundance. The kind of, the kind of people I long to pastor and shepherd and lead are people who take seriously what Jesus says. That abundant life is what he desires for us. And that we learn to follow him as people who sit at his feet and drink deep and hear his words and orientate our lives around that. And then we get active, we get busy because some of his words are like go and do, not just sit and chill. So we go and do, but we're going in a different authority. We're going with a different power. We're going with a different mindset, with a different love in our hearts for people. This is, this is what it's all really about. It's not about getting to November and just hanging on. And as we close this out, I want, I, I want to challenge. I want to challenge you to get immensely practical about this. To use the coming weeks that you've got to do an audit of your own life. To say, okay, what is my diary? How does my diary reflect my deepest desires? I know, don't, don't take this as a strong rebuke. Take it as a gentle rebuke if you're in this category. I know people who put so much effort and energy into planning physical activities, races, whatever else. You're, you're running something like, a, I don't know, what's a far distance? A marathon, 56 k's, two oceans, whatever. The way people plan to pull that off and the commitment to that goal, if they applied half of the energy and commitment and dedication to those goals as they do to sitting at his feet and hearing his words. Man, we would, we would be surrounded by spiritual giants left, right, and center in Joburg. We pay so much attention to some other goals, and we, we plan our holidays so meticulously. We plan everything, and yet our spiritual lives, we feel like we can just roll with. We forget that Jesus says there's only one thing that's necessary. Remember, one thing is necessary, not optional. All those other things are optional. You can make it a marathon. I don't suggest you go and run a marathon without planning and training. But you apply that energy to your spiritual life and to your calendar. You pray over your diary. Lord, what do I want my, what do I want my life to look like? Somebody once told me that your diary is not a mechanism that you can use to fit everything in that you want to get done. Your diary is a mechanism to change the person that you want to be. So you think, what kind of person do I want to be? And then you align your diary to make sure that you can work towards becoming the kind of person. It's not just adding tasks, getting stuff done, tick, tick, tick. It's making time so that you can be, that you do the one thing that's necessary. God can transform your character. It's more important, my friends, who you are than what you do. Massively, massively important. I've been grieved again and again this year. You know, as professional Christians have our own WhatsApp groups, Again and again, pastors who are wiping out, leaving the ministry, disgracing themselves, 
falling into sin, walking away from their churches and Jesus. And everyone's just like eyes open, like how the heck did that even happen? I can tell you exactly how it happened. Because they thought it was more important to be busy and doing than to do the one thing that's necessary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We've, we have bought the lie that efficiency and competency is more important than character. My friends, eventually it flushes out and it exposes itself. Your character is the most important thing about who you are, and that is shaped and developed and transformed sitting at the feet of the one who loves you with an open Bible and an open heart, open ears listening to what he has to say to you as he shapes you and transforms you. We are running out of time. There's a lot of other stuff I wanted to say, but I, I, I want to encourage you. The action steps of this is that you've got a season now where traditionally in Joburg things calm down. I want to encourage you to think of your year next year. Say, what do what, what my diary to look like? What kind of person do I want to be at the end of next year, in three years' time? How can I rearrange my diary to do the one thing that's necessary? Everyone's at different life stages. There's people with young kids, babies, going to have kids, going to get married, got grandkids, the works. Everyone's on a spectrum here. Some of you are doctors, some of you are unemployed. Just everyone's got a different context. What's your context? What does it look like for you? To do the one thing that's necessary. You're going to have to say no to something so that you can say yes to the one thing that's necessary. And friends, I want to encourage you that this is where the life is. This is where the life is. So let's lean into that. And let's allow him to speak to us and change us. Let me pray for us. and Pray for wisdom as we think and plan and plot our way forward. Yeah, Jesus, you, you've said that one thing is necessary and it's to sit at your feet and to hear your word. And we, uh, we want to acknowledge, uh, confess that so often we have not believed you. We've thought that what you've said is, is not true. It's not, it's not necessary. It's optional for us. and We can get through life with very little I'm sitting at your feet, very little of listening to your word. We want to acknowledge that and say we're sorry for relying on other things for our joy, for our strength, for our help, for guidance and wisdom. And we ask this morning, Father, that through the work of the Spirit, you'd be drawing us back to you, that you'd be winning our hearts back to you. You would be working in us, stirring in us, a longing for more of the life that you've promised us. We don't want to be people who just live with less. We want to enter into all of the abundance of the life that you have won for us in the gospel, everything that's come to us through faith in Jesus Christ and being united with him. And so we want to pray, Father, we want to ask that please draw our hearts back to you. Give us wisdom as we look at our diaries, as we look at our days. Give us longing for you and for your word and for the deep things of God that would shape us, that we would find it to be our greatest joy, to sit at your feet, to meet with you, to hear you, to be shaped by you, and then to go into the world as disciples of yours, to live for your glory and for our good. How desperately we need you to both overcome the reluctance and the resistance and the apathy in our hearts and to help us with wisdom as we take steps forward and we pray that you would help us in all of these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.